Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello and welcome to Series 4, Episode 12 of Out with Susie Ruffle. Hello. I hope that you're having a good week. As you can hear, I've still got quite a croaky voice. I've got that cold again. But there we are. I sound like I've got a, um, maybe like a jazz FM show, maybe, something like that. Which I don't mind. I'd quite like that. Um, thank you for listening. Thank you so much for everyone that got in touch last week. Seen that lots of people really enjoyed Glenn's episode. Um, I did too. And I've got a fantastic episode for you today. It's actually the final episode of the series. We're going to be having a little break over Christmas and a little break in January and then I'll be back at some point in February and March with a whole host of new queer LGBTQIA plus interviews to share with you. But I will be having a little break to gather the interviews and to reach out to people and to just put some time into the booking of the show before we um, before we record them. So uh, yeah, thanks so much for being part of this journey for the last more than a year now it's going to be two years in march wow that's amazing um so if you're new to the podcast or if you're someone that's been there since the beginning thank you so much i hope that you've enjoyed them i think there's something in every single episode obviously there's ones with people that are quite famous and there's others with people that you might not have heard of but i think every single story is perfect and unique and interesting so if you haven't listened to the whole series yet please go back and listen i think that there'd be something that you can take from every single episode i'm proud of each one of them and i'm always proud to share your stories and so that's what i'll do at the beginning of this episode like i do every single time here we go Hi Susie, I just wanted to start off by saying thank you so much for this podcast. I love hearing so many queer voices and finding so many inspirational people I would have known about if it wasn't for you. So just a huge thank you. I found your podcast in lockdown number three and would listen to it every day on my lunch breaks going for walks and it really helped me get through that tough time. Just to be a background on me, I'd say I'm still pretty early in my coming out. It wasn't until I went to university and joined the uni women's rugby team, stereotypical I know, that I started to think that I wasn't as straight as I'd always thought I was. I told a few people when I was drunk that I thought I might be bi, but I never really acted on it. I just hid this part of me for a year or so, and just kept dating guys and having failed relationships. It wasn't until I went into lockdown that I made the decision that I wasn't going to date men anymore, and I only wanted to date women to try out what it was like. I went on a few dates and then got into quite a serious relationship for a woman for around a year, and felt so much happier and safe than I'd ever been with a man. 
But at this time, I still thought that I was bisexual, but I had a preference for women. However, recently I broke up with my partner and being single again and knowing that I now could date whoever I wanted has made me come to the terms of the fact that I can't really imagine being with a man again and that maybe I identify more with the label of lesbian. I don't quite know how I feel about this at the moment as I feel like a fake as I know in the past I've loved men and it isn't something I've always known about myself and that instead I'm just discovering now. Especially speaking to other gay women I know as they seem to say it's something they've always known but it isn't really how it feels for me and I feel that I fit more with the idea that sexuality is fluid and I'm currently only attracted to women. That's all I know really. Not really sure what point I'm making, but I just wanted to let you know that I appreciate the podcast and especially hearing about experiences different to my own, such as trans individuals or asexuality, as I have limited experience with this. Also, I guess I just wanted to be able to let out my thoughts at the moment in a safe space. Once again, thank you for all that you do. And if I'm lucky enough for you to read any of this out, then I'm happy for you to include my name. Thanks. And that's from Lucy. Well, Lucy, I think that you make a really good point. I think that sexuality is fluid and I think it doesn't really matter what label you, and I think some people, sometimes people want labels, sometimes people like labels, but I think some people it doesn't work. And I think whether you're bisexual or pansexual or if you're fluid, it doesn't really matter as long as you're happy. You know, wherever you find yourself on that queer spectrum, I don't think, for me anyway, I've never felt like I really needed to put a label on it. I think now that I definitely identify as a gay woman, but I think that, you know, certainly younger, I didn't really know exactly where I, I fitted, but I don't think you, you ever really need to know. But I'm really pleased that the podcast has been so good for you and that it, it makes me really proud of, of what we've created uh, to hear that from you. So thank you so, so much. And I'm pleased that you felt that this was a safe space for you to share those thoughts. I really want to apologise for how croaky my voice is, but this is the only day that I could record it, so I'm sorry if you're thinking this is a horrible thing to listen to. It was my only choice. Okay, let's have one more email and then we can get to the interview that I did a couple of weeks ago where my voice is a lot nicer. Hi there, Susie. I've been meaning to write in for a very long time. I stumbled across your podcast in the first weeks of lockdown in 2020. I think it was after a YouTube rabbit hole of watching lesbian stand-up comedians. Since the start, I have been hooked and look forward to each Monday's new episode. Thank you for the platform which you and your guests have created, which has normalised so many of our stories and journeys. I haven't found any queer-themed podcast which has the same balance of integrity, authenticity, mindfulness and playfulness as this podcast. Thank you very much for saying that. That really means a lot. The topics discussed are so pertinent in this complicated and complex world that we live in, and I'm truly grateful that you've chosen to share this with us. My journey of self has been one interesting ride. I'm a 35-year-old woman living in Cape Town, South Africa. I met my ex-husband at high school, married at 23, and spent almost 10 years together before we split. The split was hard, but with little animosity, although I was in deep denial that the relationship was unsalvageable until the very end. Not once in all the years we were together did I question my sexuality. However, after the split, and after a few months of soul-searching, I realised I could have feelings for another person again. And to my surprise, my first crush was on a woman. It took me by surprise as dating women was never really in my realm of possibilities before. I was a typical teenager with crushes on all the boys and posts of boy bands on my walls. What I have since realized is that I've probably been attracted to both genders all my life, but I've never had the representation to think about exploring same-sex relationships, nor the opportunity, seeing as I was in a monogamous relationship from high school. Only post-split from my husband did the thought even cross my mind. This is because I fell into a queer social group post-lockdown, by chance or subconsciously, who knows. 
and was warmly welcomed into a space where exploration was welcomed and normalised. It has been such a fun journey to explore this side of myself. All the literature and media, I binged the L word in lockdown. I've been supported by this, a wonderful therapist who is also queer, by chance, not intentional, and have made the most of a fantastic bunch of diverse friends. Many of my peers are astonished that I have made the transition so smoothly, but it's really been because of my supportive circle where sexuality isn't an issue that made it all possible. I'm not sure what my label is, and I'm currently in a wonderful relationship with the most gorgeous woman. It will be our one-year anniversary on the 27th of December, but this period has been one of the happiest of my life. I thought coming out late in life was rare, but listening to your podcast and hearing the other stories, it's made me realise that so many people are on the same journey. I always thought that if one was queer, you'd be sure from a very young age, but I have now realised without representation, many of us on the bisexual spectrum would have never realised our queerness. I hope that makes sense. Anyways, enough rambling. Just thought you would like to know the podcast has reached all the way down to the tip of Africa. I can't wait to hear more. Much love, Natasha. And you're welcome to use my name. Well, thank you so much for letting me know that this podcast got to the tip of Africa. How incredible, how wonderful. Thank you so much for listening. Similar to um, the, the email before from Lucy, I think um, labels, you know, labels are good for some people, they're not good for others, but I think you're absolutely right. Without the representation, I think so many people don't have the opportunity to see what, what, what they can be. And I think it's so important that that representation continues. We need to see more LGBTQIA plus people in everything, in theatre, in art, in books, in everything, so that everyone can see that our stories are just like theirs, so that they can see that, you know, it's not just a queer story, it's just a story, it's a human story. And I think the more that people like us are featured everywhere, that the better acceptance will be across the board. And uh, thank you for sh sharing that. Thank you for sharing your story. And I hope that you have a lovely one year anniversary. How wonderful that it's been one of the happiest years of your life. And thank you for uh, for writing into me. I really appreciate it. Okay, let's go to that conversation that I, I mentioned before. We've got a brilliant episode today. It's with the brilliant Charlie Craigs. I really enjoyed this episode. I think it's a really brilliant conversation. And I really hope that you enjoy it as well. Listeners, I am delighted to welcome Charlie Greggs to the show today. She is an activist, a presenter and a writer. Her recent BBC doc, Transitioning Teens, was an empathetic and informative exploration of what it means to be a trans teenager. Watching it, I was so moved and it was the kind of work that you can't help but watch and think this is the sort of thing that could really change hearts and minds. She's also published To My Trans Sisters, a collection of letters by successful trans women and is the creator of Nail Transphobia, which provides free manicures to customers, allowing them to chat to a trans person about their experiences with a hope to reduce transphobia, which I think is such an incredible idea. I feel like everything that Charlie creates is about creating conversation, creating space and kind of creating hope. So I'm so thrilled to have her on the show today. Hello, Charlie. Hello, Susie. Hey, How babe. Are you? <laughs> I'm all right. Better for seeing you. I should have also said you're also really funny because we met on that student pride panel yeah. show. That well, that's a big compliment bonkers. coming from you because you're one of the funniest people I know, Susie Well, Rappel. that's very nice of you to say. But yeah, we had a real laugh and I was like, I need to get her on the pod. I did to get her you. on the pod. It's um, an honour. It's an honour. I've seen literally all my friends do this. Now I'm like, oh my God, <laughs> I'm on it as well. <laughs> oh, that's nice. Oh, that's so nice. How are you? 
I'm all right. Yeah, not used to being up. We're filming this at like 10 in the morning, which is not even early, but it's very early for me. So I'm currently sat of like a dressing gown with like a blanket around my shoulders, like an old lady and a cup of tea. Are you, you're a real night owl? Do you know what? I'm not even like a social night owl. I don't even go out. I can't remember the last time I went to a club, but I just like work at night. I just find, oh, do, you do find, you? I don't know about, I don't know if it's like a left brain or right thing, brain thing, but like, I work so much better at night. Is it because the world has turned off? So you're like, I think there's less distractions. Like yeah. you can't talk to anyone. And then I think it's also like time is ticking out. You've got to get your work done by the end of the day. And even though the day is technically ended because it's the early hours of the next morning, I feel like it, that there's the pressure to finish it. Like I was always the person in school. I do my homework in the morning at school before, you know, like you'd get into like registration. I do all my homework in like the hour before school started. Like I just a very like, I think I'm addicted to the adrenaline. I think of that's pressure. What it is. Of yeah, like think, time which pressure. is stupid. I'm going to die so early, probably, because <laughs> I'm so stressed all the time. But yeah. <laughs> what are you? Are you writing another book at the moment? How did you know? I, I said, Are you? I was going to say, That is not on the internet. So I don't know. Oh, I was right, like, no, Who I said, told you that? How did you get this number? Um, <laughs> it's not. I'm doing a, a second version, actually, right now. It's like due, I think, in a couple of months. So I've got to get that. It's so due have, in the morning. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> so we, we need to get this on. I haven't started yet. If, I hope my publisher's not listening. But yeah, it's due <laughs> quite soon. So I'm doing like a, it's the fifth anniversary of two of my transistors. So I'm going to put together, now that my platform's a bit bigger as well, I can hopefully draw in a few even like bigger names that I've like interviewed a few really big like trans people in the community oh, amazing. So, like, um, yeah if I can get them to like uh, put uh, an, an essay in the book it'd like give it more of a legacy I think because then more people know about it kind of it it carries the legacy further um so yeah please please god I can get a few big names oh well if you're listening and you want to know um, about Charlie's book obviously keep across her Instagram and then uh, we'll make sure that at the end of the series when we plug everyone's book we let you know about to my trans sisters because people oh, often say you, hey any books that you can recommend and I always try and do a bit of a recommendation uh, at the end of a series sometimes I remember sometimes I don't but I'll try That's this time. so sweet thank you so you, you said you created that five years ago in my mind you're really young so in, I'm oh. 35. So in my mind, you feel really young to me. Um, were you really young when you, not really young, but you're, you're younger than me, right? Allegedly, yeah. Allegedly. Yeah. <laughs> Allegedly, I'm a lot, lot younger, but really right. I'm not that much younger. He's I'm 72. She's looking amazing. Um, <laughs> so so you, you, you published that five years ago. So does it feel like your journey has sort of like, has, has it been a big five years for you or is it? Oh my God, yeah. Well, it's been a big eight years because I started Nail Transphobia, which is why I got the book deal. Yeah, Because I was like running my campaign since like 2013. So it's been a, it's been a long slog. Mm. So where did you grow up? We often start, we often do it sort of chronologically on the show. So yeah. whereabouts did you grow up? So I'm from Labrick Grove, born and uh-huh. bred. Just yep. moved away actually because can't, I can't afford to live there by myself. <laughs> no, but, um, it's quite yeah. expensive. So to international listeners, that's like West London. Yeah. Yeah, sort of the, the bad you... part, I'm from the bad part. I'm not from right. the good part. People, I think, as you can hear from my accent, I'm definitely not posh. I'm from a council state in Labrick Grove, so. But round the yeah. corner is Notting Hill. Oh, yeah. It's like the richest, richest part of London. Or like, I think it's the richest borough in Europe. Yeah, like there's really wow. deprived parts. It's got them. I lived in one of the poorest parts of the UK, which is ironically in the richest part of the UK. It's like madness. But it was yeah, like in the top 10% poorest parts like of the UK. So I'm not posh at all. When I say I'm from... Labrick Grove people are like oh and I'm like no it wasn't it was I'm I wouldn't want to be from the posh part though I'm so proud to be working class like and so what did that look like for you as as a child were you very aware of your sort of 
working class No. Like, are you working class? You sound, that's yeah, not so, an insult. No, it's <laughs> not an insult at all. It's really not. difficult because I definitely come from working class stock. My dad is very much like a geezer bloke that always like works, works with hands. He's a long distance lorry driver when I was a kid. That was his job. Yeah. Mum stayed at home with us. But yet as I grew up, they bought their own house. And then now I own some of my flat. Alice and I have got like one of those mortgages where the government help you. But we, we own like a, a portion of our flat. So it's quite difficult to go. Well, I'm definitely from working class stock. There were certainly parts yeah. of my childhood where we not that we felt working class, but like if I look around my family, it's very scaffolders, builders, hairdressers, Same. you know, that sort Same. of jobs, which I think is often fall into the working class category, but I don't think they necessarily have to be there. So I find with class, I've spoken a lot about being, having working class heritage on stage, but I feel a little disingenuous talking about it yeah. nowadays because now I'm someone that has a bit more money. And so does, my, yeah, and so does, and so does my dad, actually. My dad's done sort of did really well started, like as he got older and now has got like a nice car and a lovely house. So I find it, I don't know, I feel disingenuous saying I'm working class when I know when I've got friends that are on council estates and I think that's a different thing. It's a really interesting one. I saw my friend Yomi writ for Vogue about like how she was saying the same thing about herself. And I'm thinking about myself and it's basically what you just said, where it's like, we've got to a point now where even if we were working class and raised working class and our lives were shaped by that, we're not necessarily working class anymore. And it's almost unfair to working class people now to say like, and I'm like, actually that, and now I'm like, that's actually really where do I like it's so confusing for me because that's been such a huge part of my identity because it Mm. really did shape me like back to your question like growing up as a a queer working class person is a very unique experience and a very different experience from like how middle class queer people probably grow up I'm not saying that they have it any like easier but in some ways different growing up on a council state and being a little feminine quotation marks boy I definitely Mm. felt like a girl and I was saying I was a girl but I was seen as a boy it was really hard you can imagine like it was really rough I went to an all-boys school as well which was really rough like it was not easy so that's definitely definitely shaped my it's shaped who I am today so I guess even if I don't count as working class today I will always be shaped by my working class heritage yeah I think that's I think it's so valid to hear that story as well, because I think class is such a strange thing in this country where it doesn't seem to exist in many others. But I think you're absolutely right. And I can only, yeah, talking about, you know, being a feminine and again, as you say, in air quotations, uh, boy in that sort of environment, I can only imagine would have been incredibly hostile <laughs> yeah and then the funny to say the thing least is, yeah I would to say the least and like I didn't even realize like back to your question again I didn't even realize I was working class I really mm. thought everyone lived on council estates because all my friends did and even the people who didn't live on my estate were like <laughs> people from my primary school also lived on estates and I remember when I got to secondary school we had to do a geography class which I think is really cheeky looking back and I almost want to complain they made us do a thing about where we live like a whole project on like where we live in our house it was about our house basically and I'm like they were just being nosy they just wanted to like look at all the like kids houses um and I had to do uh, I did a presentation on like my and I basically lied and said I didn't do my homework because when I was watching the other presentations I was like oh my god and I realized for the first time I'm kind of poor like that it really hurt and I cried so much because I didn't realize like that I was like, oh, I, I don't know. It just sounds so stupid. I didn't realize people had stairs in their house. Like, I did, I like stupid things like that. I don't like... think that. I don't, th- <laughs> I don't think you should discount your teenage self as, as saying that's stupid. Because I think if you're not told that, and if everyone you know lives in a flat, 
Yeah. How should you know otherwise? It's like so if it's like stupid. the only people that have stairs are in like Mary Poppins, we're like, oh well, that's a different thing. Like that's yeah, I that's like aristocracy oh. or whatever in in a child's mind. Bloody hell, but yeah. So like, yeah, that was the first time I kind of realized I was working class, I think. Um and yeah. what sort of age would you have been then? Year seven. So like I guess like eleven or something, something like that. And at that point in your life, were you aware of I don't know, would you would you refer to yourself as queer? I don't want to put a word in your mouth. That's the interesting thing is the exact same age that I realised I was working class. I realised I guess I was trans because I saw Nadia was on Big Brother that year. Um, So yeah, I remember it was the first time I even had seen a trans person, knew what a trans person was. So like it was, I until then I'd never, because I guess at 11, that's kind of when you start maybe questioning things, fancying people. I was quite innocent. So Mm. I definitely lost that now. But I I wasn't even fancying people at that age, I don't think. So like, I I guess that's when I kind of realised I was like, oh, I like boys, but I also don't feel like a boy. I never ever felt like a boy um mm. I was about four when I started telling my mum that I was my mum remembers before me uh, which I think shows like it predates my memory like uh me expressing my gender variance saying oh I wish I was a girl and like just like like careless comments like that like not even really meaning much by it and but I do remember going to bed because I'm also Catholic I remember going to bed praying that like, I'd wake up a girl and stuff so like, yeah, like it was a very, I guess 11 was a hard year, like going to that horrible boys school, realising I was poor and realising I was a girl. <laughs> it was a hard year for Charlie. <laughs> that is a, that is a hard thing for anyone, but an, an 11 year old that's like, I want to like cuddle them. I want to cuddle me as well. I didn't know that you were Catholic. How much do you think your faith played a role in, in your journey into working out who you are? Do you know what, none? Really? That's interesting. That's a lie, actually. I would say positive. I would rather than, because I think the assumption is negative, like, oh, it, it affected me negatively. And these, I say this as a, a, a Catholic as well, who, oh, I'd say I'm more of a Christian, actually. I'm, I was raised Catholic. I do, it's, I'm, I guess I'm more aligned with like the Christian kind of rules and teachings, but like, because mm-hmm. I'm definitely not into like the, the craziness that some of the Catholics uh, purport. I guess it, it actually, if anything, affected me positively in that I just always knew that like God made me this way. Like it gave me a real comfort. I think it is as well that I grew up in a family of good religious people, aside mm. from Catholic, Christian, whatever. It could be any religion, but good religious people aren't people who use their religion just as a stick to beat people with. Mm. And th- th- it's about religion should just be about being a good person. Like at the end of the day, any, any religion. And my family were the type of religious people Like my mom was a lady in church who gave out the bread. So we were quite religious, but like, it was just about being a good person. And it was never about like judging other people. Like she just is a very, very good person. Same as my nan and stuff. I, I think it, yeah, it didn't have like the negative effect on me that it had for a lot of religious people. And I feel so, I know how lucky I am for that as well. But it's interesting that you say that actually, because part of the show is that people write in with their coming out stories and I share them as well. And something that comes up quite a lot is people marrying their queerness and their faith and that actually being a very positive thing. And we've had Baroness Ruth Hunt on who. Oh my God, amazing. Who is a Christian, who I love. And then we had Jay Hume on a few weeks ago, who's a trans guy that is very into the church and very into inclusivity within the Christian community. And it's interesting that it's something that I think maybe 10 years ago that people were having more trouble marrying the idea of being a queer person or being part of the LGBTQIA gang and being someone that has a faith or has a a religion. But it does feel like at the moment, certainly that is something that is being discussed in this little area in my podcast quite a lot, that people are finding peace in in those two things coexisting within them, which I think is, is just really positive. 
I think I've always just felt that peace inside me, like the chaos around that is from outside. I know, I know, mm. I'm not stupid enough to believe that like God cares what, about gay people, <laughs> like, <laughs> like or, or trans people. I'm like, you are thick in the head if you think that. Like, I don't. I'm like uh, also a religious person. I guess I'm much more spirit. I've, I've made all this stuff about being religious, and I do consider myself religious. I have a panto picture of Jesus on my wall. Um, oh yeah. Like, and I got my cross on and stuff, and I pray every single day. But I don't believe in like things like the Bible. I'm sorry, I believe in obviously a lot of the Bible, but I don't believe. I'm. I don't give a shit what a man has to say now. I do not give a shit what a man had to say all those fucking thousands of years ago. I'm not going to live my life. The, Jesus never said anything about <laughs> LGBT people, whatever. Nor did God. A man did. <laughs> I yeah. don't care what a man thinks now. So I'm not going to live my life by stupid rules like that. And I don't believe in the Pope. I couldn't care what the Pope thinks about me. He's recently said that we're more dangerous than nuclear weapons. Like he's done a bit of a, th- he's not fully done a 360 on gay rights because I saw he said something really problematic recently. But um, he said something like, you can't bless the sin or something. But um, oh, but we should like be nice to gays, but we can't bless the sin. But he's much um, heavier on trans rights. So I'm like, I don't give a shit. You're just a man. Who made you fucking yeah. Pope? <laughs> like, I don't get, like Jesus did it. Like, I don't give a shit what you have to say either. And I'd say that to his face. But um, <laughs> I would, but like, do I mean like so I'm religious in the sense that like I've always known like I just really do believe like God made me this way I mean I was four I'm I don't even remember like I said my mum remembers me uh saying that I wished I was a girl like that shows how natural it is I didn't understand what gender was at that age I didn't understand what sex was I didn't understand you could even be trans at that age there was no representation how did I how did I know that like how did I feel that like it's and and the fact that it was a it wasn't like a one-off thing like it's painted in the media like I said it once as like a I want to be a tree or a robot like it was like no I want to be a girl and that that has been a a theme that's just stayed with me in my life and it's like it just shows how pure and natural it is if and the same with gay kids as well like like the the ones who are like oh, I don't want to wear dresses and I like I have friends who are um really like butch lesbians who are, like just for some reason just always felt a thing against dresses or like always knew they liked girls or always knew they liked boys you know we are the same people we are when we're kids it's it just shows how natural it is yeah it's innate yeah it really is we it's, are who we are you can't quite put your finger on it but yeah. it's you go well yeah that's it's it's just a fact it really is it's just yeah. a fact and so I know that you said that your mum and your nan are amazing. We big up the nans a lot on this show. Oh, I, I had an nans. amazing nan. I guess what was your mum's response to having, because, you know, ha- having a child uh, saying that, was she sort of like, did she sort of say, okay, play as a girl or, you know, just allowing you to sort of explore that gender, would you say gender identity or would you say, yeah, I guess yeah, gender yeah. play or something? Yeah. Um, was, she, was she allowing of you doing that sort of thing? It was like a mixed one. And my mum is like the best mum in the world. Like, so when I say, I'm not being negative if when I, when I say anything in, in case she listens to this, but it was a very different time in the nineties mm, in, sure. in the UK, in like, especially in a working class community as well. Like it just, trans was not part of the cultural conversation. So she didn't even know anything about that. Even like gay stuff was like, I mean, it was, we were at like the, the start of kind of representation. I think she just assumed that I was gay. Like most people did. I was actually told I was gay, not by my, not by my mom, but by like people, I mean, like people in my estate and stuff like told me I was yeah. gay. So I actually thought I was gay for a long time because that's why I was told I was. She basically always made it clear that, and this is goes back to her just being a good person was like, She'd like talk to me and my brothers and like, I have two straight brothers. And she'd be like, when she'd be like, so when you're oldest, like if you have a girlfriend and want to bring a girlfriend back or a boyfriend, and she just always make it clear that she like 
so like I never ever had any fears which I know is such a privilege but I never had any fears about like coming out as anything because she'd made it so clear like she she obviously knew I was something on 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 the rainbow and she basically let me know that I was always safe I don't know like I did I wasn't like I don't want to say like I was uh encouraged like because that's, that's bullshit that we have to even worry about our word and about being encouraged but like she didn't like mm. I didn't live my life as a girl um I didn't wear girl clothes or have a girl name or anything but like she bought I had one doll for example she bought they bought me a doll one Christmas and I obviously cherished that doll but like uh, other than that I didn't have like Barbies and like everything I wanted like obviously I wanted loads of girl stuff but like it was like I guess like back then there was like this thing as well like you'd, you'd be judged like she would be I mean, she's told me before there was comments of like oh you shouldn't be giving them this like um like you're do you know I mean there was like so much like fear that you'd make a child gay or make a child yeah. trans and like so like, I think she was like she always accepted me and let me be but didn't want to like steer me either way I don't know just out of maybe out of like just that was the time we were in back then but she's I literally couldn't ask for a better mum so like she was always I never had any fear and when I came out it was literally just like a it wasn't it wasn't even a coming out it was that anticlimactic <laughs> that's really that's so positive to hear and I'm sure it'd be so positive for so many people listening to hear it's so interesting what you say about the sort of idea of it being encouraged and like a fear for a mum yeah yeah of, of what people people sort of uh, putting it on to them and it, obviously it's something that you cover in your documentary which I have to say is so brilliant thank you it's Susie. really really good it's such a I, I watched it while I was doing my ironing I'm definitely 35 um <laughs> <laughs> it was I just like like put the one point I just put the iron down and just folded my arms and just was really watching and listening because I just thought it's so rare that we get Obviously, I knew that it would be like an empathetic look at, at transitioning teens because it was from your perspective. But I think so rarely do we get an opportunity to listen to those people and for them not to end up being a statistic in a newspaper or a punchline or a, yeah. an idea of a person rather than actually being a person. You couldn't have said it better. Absolutely. So in a way, was that a sort of a is love letter the right word? But in a way, kind of a love letter to that version of you that teenager that you know was was growing up in the 90s so in a different in a different space to the conversations that we're having now or in the early 2000s yeah is that why you wanted to create it yeah I guess rather than it being a love letter it was like a letter asking for help and asking for asking for love like rather than me giving Mm. love it was about like asking the public where is the compassion around this quotation marks debate? Literally, our children, whether they're trans or not, children in this country are and, and globally are like struggling. They are suffering. They are suicidal. They are not being helped. Where is the compassion? Whether you agree with trans people or not, like where is the compassion? And I guess so it was just rather than like me writing a love letter, it was asking for some love for these mm-hmm. young people who need help and need love. And all they get is debates in the media from people who have never even met a trans person, never mind being trans themselves yeah. but like they, they have they don't know what they're talking about and they're talking like you said it's theoretical it's like oh well what if uh these trans teenagers detransition and what if da, da, da? it's like what what are you talking about is this the, the issue at hand like these children are waiting five years for a first appointment and are suicidal and are buying black market hormones and like like you see in my documentary and it's like that's the real that's what you should be talking about never mind if they detransition when the detransition rate is like it is one percent of the one percent like trans people make up one percent of the population detransition make up one percent of that that's like zero point 
I think zero zero one. It's like tiny, and it's like how does that tiny of a a, a fraction of the population warrant so much discussion in the UK? Yeah. It's madness, and it's so wrong. It would almost it's like using like um, people who regret, for example, something like abortion to like justify. Well, we shouldn't let anyone have abortions because you know this percentage, this tiny percentage of people regret abortion, and it's like, well, no, that's not how it works, and it wouldn't it wouldn't fly with any other community. It's bullshit. It's such bullshit. Yeah, and I think it's so important, like you mentioned in, in the doc, that it is 1%, and it's 1% that just seems to get this, I mean, endless discussion. Yeah, absolutely. And you sort of go, if you looked at any other, like I was trying to write some material about this, about, and I was trying to find like a group of people from, from whatever country or whatever tribe that make up 1% of the world. And imagine yeah. if we were just talking about those people from like yeah. this specific part of the Philippines. It's yeah. such a lot of discussion about such, about allowing people to just exist. It's madness. And as you say, I think it's so frequently someone that has never met a trans person and has this idea. I mean, I think it's so similar to, I mean, It's the Sin's just been such a massive conversation. And I, I find it so difficult that people, uh, in, in fairness, actually, I think most people are with us. I really I do. Agree. I agree. I really I agree. do. But I think it's loud people. Absolutely. People that are loud, which I have often found. Given by massive institutions and platforms that yeah. want the public to believe that it's this massive split down the middle. And it's like, no, well, it's literally it like... Sells, it sells newspapers. I think even if does, an editor yeah. is going, do you know what, I'm pretty pro-trans, but I need to make sure, you know, newspapers are falling, how many people yeah, buy them, yeah. people get their information all over. Absolutely. I need to have an article that feels spicy. And it's a distraction as well. I think it's much shadier yeah, sure. as well. I think they use like fear mongering tactics around like uh, minority groups to distract from the real shady things that are going on in society that they have a part to play in because it's everything is political. Like they are they are the like political top dogs, you know, like they are they have affiliations with politicians, like everything is kind of deeper than it seems and the fact is kind of we saw this in the 80s with gay people and in the 90s and yeah, it's like sure. it's like they are just recycling that kind of a method yep. of like look or they used to do it about and it's kind of boiled down a little bit about about like muslims as well it's like oh like be really angry at these people who are literally affecting no one like and mm-hmm. it's like we're just trying to live our lives why are you not angry about i don't know like coronavirus the way that the government's dealt with coronavirus climate change brexit like things that are actually affecting the whole country but they're talking about one percent of the population and even that one percent of the of the one percent aren't even affecting like anyone else you know what I mean so like realistically if someone do transitions it has nothing to do with you why do you care in the same way I feel like a good comparison is with like ex-gays you know like the people who go through conversion therapy and it's like well people try and use them as a stick to beat gay people with like oh well they converted so you can convert if you want it's a choice and it's like well how are we having this conversation in the UK in 2021 like madness especially like in the if you think that this kind of reached a boiling point in the middle of a pandemic with people like JK like Mm. it's like uh, do you not realize people are dying, sweetheart? Like, do you not realize that? Like, even like aside from people dying from Corona, Black Lives Matter like was in, at its kind of peak as well. Like, it's like, and you're talking about like a theoretical. Like, you made the point theoretical. It's so good because it's like it really is like. Well, what if trans women do this in the bathroom? Or what if uh, people detransition? It's a lot of what ifs, and it's like my life is real, not an, yeah, a what if. Yeah, you know? and I think that's the thing. All this sort of constant discussion about self ID. I mean. <sighs> You know, the thing that you always come back to, and I mean, you know, I should probably put out a trigger warning before I say this, but, you know, if someone wants to rape, they are not going to go, like, a woman's toilet door will not be the thing that stops them. Yeah. Seeing a sign saying ladies 
will be the last fucking thing that stops them. Yeah. Like don't even. And so I think that, I think you're absolutely right. I think it is all about sort of redirection and misinformation. And, you know, all you've got to do is look at something like the LGB Alliance and see that they're like now sharing stuff about like, we're not pro a full ban on conversion therapy. And you go, whoa, 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 whoa. Yeah. You're just an anti-trans group. Don't bring my L into this. Absolutely. And there's so, there's so many straight people in that party as well. Oh, and also like insane. the the links between like abortion as well. I've mentioned abortion mm. as well, but like the fact that like Kira Bell's lawyer, the one who pushed the age of consent up for trans people, like her court case, like as a result of media stuff around trans people had real effect on trans people's lives, especially trans teenagers, as you see in my doc. And like, it meant that like, they can't like even, get help anymore at a certain age and it's been repealed thank god since but that was like two summers ago yeah but, um her uh lawyer is an and is a pro is, is anti-abortion and it, all his other cases around like anti-abortion so it's like you say it's for women's rights but then it's like and you're like you just make up your mind it's like so yeah. like it's such a thin veil of like and it's all so linked into massively right wing and, and a lot of religion and i said this as a xenophobia person, like and religious groups of like funding like mm. the far right kind of conservative christian groups in america funding like turf groups here and like uh and, and like i read a quote in sean Fay's book which if anyone hasn't read is such it's so concise and well written on the yeah, issue sean Fay's brilliant we've got an episode with her in the last series in the last series if you haven't listened to it i highly recommend oh, it. she's fucking so great so smart and she wrote about how i wish i could remember the quote off the top of my head but like uh, there's like a, a big like event because <laughs> i can't think of the right word in america like a political event where like people from like the far-right christian groups meet and talk about um and they were basically strategizing this um how to and there's a quote a direct quote in the book from one of the women who's um i think her surname is kilgannon or something like that meg kilgannon and she's talking about how basically she thinks that we need to uh, split up the lgbt community and she's like the way to do this is by like the t is the weakest we need to break off the t create friction and basically this whole they were having a whole strategy meeting at this meeting about how to create friction within our community this is planned like and they've won yeah. like they are they are winning by like having like the, the, all these conversations about like from les from like we saw the bbc article of like lesbians saying that we're pressuring them into sex and stuff and it's like we can see that they're like their strategy is literally happening in real time where they're like creating friction within our community like where there, sh there shouldn't be any friction within our community yeah. it's madness yeah it's so disappointing when i see lesbians talking about stuff like that because i think jesus you have got a real short memory amen yeah yeah. you've yeah, got a absolutely. real short memory and the idea of being pressured by trans women or this whole thing of like, you know, there's going to be no lesbians left because they're all going to transition into trans men. You sort of go, well, I, you know, I want there to still be lesbians. I'm definitely a lesbian. I've never thought that I was trans. I know that I'm a gay woman. But also if those people are trans guys and they live happier lives because of that, um, I think me and the rest of the lesbians are fine with that. Or me and most of the rest of the lesbians are fine with that. It's just stupid. You're not like a lesbian in the first place. If you try, like, I, you wouldn't have the same conversation about me. Well, we're not going to have any gay men left because they're all transitioning into trans women. It's like, no, sweetheart, I'm a trans woman. That's the whole point of it. Like, yeah. I, I, I would trust me. If I could still be just gay, I would, I would switch back in a heartbeat. If there was a, I've had so much surgery. If there was all of a sudden like um, an injection, I could, could be given and paid uh, just as much money for to convert back to being just gay. I would do it in a heartbeat. A heartbeat. Yeah. No one would choose this. Also, where is the again back to compassion like i wish these people would just be like well would you want to be trans like yeah. trust me like who wants to be trans like it's not a choice i i promise you it's a, a last resort i don't know a single trans person who would choose this yeah 
And so, because I was talking to my mum, we mentioned at the the top that I've experienced a bit of a pile on over the last couple of weeks. Yeah. You know, it, I was talking to my mum about it, who is, you know, a woman in her 60s who, you know, I don't think, I don't know if she's ever met a trans person. I think she may have met someone with me. But, you know, like most people, it's not, there's not loads and loads of trans people everywhere. It's, no, you know, exactly. but, you know, her, my mum's response to it all was like, you know, oh, I know how much you struggled with just working out that you were gay. Can you imagine how hard it is? working out that you're in the wrong body or that your body doesn't feel right and you're like okay yes my mom who has never met a trans person exactly. who's this working class woman from Portsmouth she can grasp it yeah like exactly. it's just so sorry that sounded derogatory me saying this working class woman from Portsmouth what I mean is someone that's not living in like a, a cosmopolitan city where there's lots of different types of people everywhere you know she's she lives exactly. with people that exactly. are just like her anyway we've got very angry with this and I like that but also I want to I want to carry on chatting about you rather than all the fucking problems so what was the rest of school like? I'm thinking about that little version of Charlie that was 11. Um, oh do we, were you at that school for the rest of your schooling? Yeah, and I stupidly stayed for six form. Oh, well. wow. You're a glove <laughs> punishment. I love it. Yeah, I'm just like, oh, yeah. Like, I just was like, I'm going to be bullied anywhere I go. I'd rather be bullied in a place where I, like, I know the bullies and that, like, I know how to, like, handle things and stuff rather than going to a new place and just having to find my feet all over again. So, yeah, yeah. I stayed for seven years in that hellhole. And when I say it was a hellhole, it was so bad like it was I was kind of pretty much the only like like out person I guess you could say there was like one other person who was much more masculine but he was out as like a bi but like, I was like clearly like <laughs> sorry when, when, when you talk about being out at this point this was when were you I, I really want yeah, to no, make sure a, that I'm yeah, saying it course. right but this is when you were in air quotes a boy that was gay yeah, well, see, definitely seen that way. Like, yeah, I sorry, was yeah. No, 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 let me, no, no. Let me get it right. No, no, no. It's just such a blurry one because I'm like, I don't know how to refer to myself pre-transition because yeah. I was seen as gay. Like, I never ever came out as gay. I never like oh. felt. I never felt gay. I was told from seven on my estate, "You're gay, batty boy." All these words, fag, chitty man, yeah. all these things. I never said I was gay. I was told I was gay. I always li- I liked boys. I knew I liked guys, but I never. I always knew I didn't like guys in a way that a guy likes guys. I didn't date like pre-transition I didn't even really have set yeah. I didn't I, I like I'm trying it once but I was like no I didn't even go the whole way but like I didn't I, I didn't do anything really until I was trans because I didn't feel comfortable being gay as a sexuality I didn't want to be sexual I didn't like, mm. like I didn't like it that way as a, I just it just was not for me like in engaging as a boy and another boy or a man and a man it just was no 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 not for me like and I think that again shows how like this is not it's, it's just it just shows the science behind it because I just I'm like no it just it's just something in my core was like this isn't right and so yeah it was just really it was hard school was really hard and actually there's a lot of people who are and there's no one out as trans yet <laughs> yet <laughs> but there's a lot of people who are out as gay since like that I just hear through the gate of grapevine um who are out as um like gay now people I wouldn't have even expected but um there's a lot of people I know who are gay who aren't and I think it's, it was such a toxic environment that 10 years on like we left school 10 years ago people are still so like indoctrinated and so like uh, scarred by how homophobic the school was so homophobic I was just like rife it was like just like any kind of back then as well but even now like any kind of all-male space mm. is very like toxic in that kind of homophobic way usually anyway 
Were there any beacons of light in like the faculty or was there yes. any oh, place where you could be safe? I mean, oh, there hello, was, English, good. everyone loves their English yeah, teacher. English all the teacher, games. right? <laughs> an English or an art teacher. Some, hey, Miss Kajanin, hey, Miss Gomez Adams, hey, Miss Flynn. Um, I had a good few teachers. Mr. Booth even, we had like a nice, who actually spoke to you the other day. So he calls me up when he he has like a, a queer kids, I guess you could say. Um, oh, whether there's really one nice. who's trans now, but even gay kids who come to him and like are being bullied and like, like there is there's a lot of like um they can't even really do much because there's people in power in a school like teachers who are homophobic themselves Mm. I had that myself when I was called called fairy I was called all horrible names by teachers sometimes I was laughed at yeah yeah yeah. and like it like so now even like 10 years on like it's they're still having a problem with homophobia because it's like a it's a structural thing where like not only are the kids being homophobic but they're not being reprimanded because a lot of the teachers agree with it Mm -hmm. so like it's it's allowed to happen so he'll call me and be like oh can you speak to this person and stuff so um yeah I was speaking to one the other day and I've even put on my Instagram like there's this thing I, I did that was quite popular I went a bit of, not viral but like got 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 a lot of views where I basically said like it like, um I did a thing of me like kicking a door down and saying who called my son a faggot because I basically say if any of my like if any of my followers like because I have a lot of like, like young LGBT followers yeah. if any of them are being bullied and like aren't out to their parents like or, or like or whatever for whatever reason whether they wouldn't accept it or not whether they're just not comfortable I will come to your school and say I'm your auntie or your or your big sister and I will I will come to her school and be like what the the fuck are you going to do about this like because I'm not going to have on my watch another and I literally offer I've had like people in my DMs I'm like I will cut like tell me where, which school it is and I will I will come now and it's just yeah, just not on my watch I'm never gonna just I can't I can't I can't I can't so let someone else go through it no 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 not on my watch like I, I will come to your school even if we are different races I, I will say I am the auntie-in-law yeah <laughs> uh, yeah basically no not on my watch I can't just the thought of like another person because it's really scarred me just to be honest like I don't know about how how your time at school was but my time was so bad that like I'm just it's kind of ruined my life which sounds really sad and I know this is supposed to be a positive podcast but like in no, a lot of ways just real yeah, and it's it's really fucked me up. Just to be honest, like I am, I still like really struggle in ways that like I know I wouldn't struggle if I hadn't gone through that. In that, like I don't like I'm quite like um, obviously very anxious and stuff, but like I don't really go out much and stuff just because I'm like always, I'm just so scared of like you can your life can change, but your mind doesn't change unless unless you put a lot of work into changing it. So like even though I'm in a different place in my life now. I'm like still that that person inside who I was, who was just really badly bullied at school. It's really tough. And I think those years are so formative in how you see yourself. Yeah. Cause I, I mean, I didn't, I don't think I had anything like what you did at school and I'm oh, so sorry that you had that, it's but okay. it's, you know, I, I certainly the, the feelings of, of sort of slight hopelessness and the desperation to fit in and a desperation to be in air quotes, normal, was so prevalent in my everyday life. I know that uh, when Michael Chakravarti and I were talking, you know, he was saying that he would, you know, go through like, you know, like a door that you, that goes round and round and round. He'd think if I get through this quick enough, it'll mean that I'm not gay. Or if I do this, yeah. it'll mean that I'm not gay. And I think that's something that's actually come up quite a lot when I've chatted to people on this podcast. And it was, it was, it's been really reassuring because I felt like, I was like, oh, I thought I was the only person that made those like weird little rules with myself where I was like, yeah. oh, if I do this thing really quickly, if I can get, if I can race that bus and I get to the end of the road before that bus, I won't be gay. I won't fancy that girl. Yeah. I kind of remember doing stuff like that as well. Yeah. And I feel like that sort of mental gymnastics that you're putting yourself through at such a young age, I mean, it, it can't help. But guys, therapy, 
if you if you've yeah, not had exactly. it and you're considering it I, I really recommend it it's really helped with all that stuff <laughs> Less about me, more about you. At what point, because, you know, obviously when I've, I've only met you the once, but when I did, it felt like you were quite confident in your own skin. You were certainly confident in your body. You looked phenomenal. You uh, too. In, well, listen, I can rock a suit, <laughs> sure. But you were in like a sort of um, a, a, a leotard with like, uh, I'm so bad at, at, at saying girls' clothes. Um, <laughs> a leotard like with like a some mesh situation thing, yeah. with like bits of it were see-through, bits of it was all very hot. Um, but <laughs> Yeah, you're very good at um, owning your space. Yeah, absolutely. Having you your have space. To. Yeah, you have absolutely. To. And so that feels like, you know, that 10 years since you've left school, that's obviously been quite, that you've been on obviously a huge journey since then. At what point were you, I know that you're saying at four years old, you were saying, I, I'm a girl. And, you know, and you were knowing that at maybe 11 and then, you know, probably even more so at 17, 18, when you were in those final yeah. years of school. But at what point did you think I am trans and I I'm I, I can't carry on like this I don't do you know what? it's so sad but I can't even remember because I, really? I was so suicidal just trigger oh, warning, I'm so but sorry I was, it's okay but like I was in a really dark place and I, I not even out of choice but I can't remember because I blacked out a lot of my life like I don't know if you've had that like not even on purpose but I think like to protect myself my mind forgets things like so I can't even remember school if you ask me of like certain incidents I'm like I can't even I can remember a couple of my big fights <laughs> which I won by the way but uh, I can't remember a lot which is really sad but my friend remembers one of my best friends a lesbian <laughs> of course is um hey Lara um she remembers me saying at about I think 18 uh so yeah I guess I would have just left sixth form and I yeah and I kind of I guess I I just knew that it was going to be so hard that like and my life was hard already like as you saw like mm -hmm. as a just an effeminate quotation marks gay person like I was really struggling already as outside of school even just like in the street I was always getting like you know like the sorts of like blokey guys you like uh, vans shouting fag at you and like stuff like that just it was really hard so like I just knew I couldn't hack it or at least I didn't think I could and I I would got even more suicidal because I bet then I was just living a life that wasn't worth living because I wasn't living if that makes sense like I'd strip I stripped away I was basically hiding who I was and like trying to strip away all the parts of me that made me feminine so that I'd fit in and then um I got to a point where I just wasn't even me anymore because I wasn't who I, I wasn't I stripped away all the parts that made me me and um I yeah I just remember like I was really close to ending it and then I was like I'm gonna try and transition and if I can great if I can't then I'll end it which sounds really dark but I was just like I'll at least give it a go and um obviously <laughs> just about still here so like yeah I did it's just like um yeah I can't I can't put into words how hard it was but like to also to make it more positive when I transitioned to answer your other question about like how like I've, I've done a 360 from being like the quiet kid who was bullied in school to being someone who takes up my space now and is very confident um it's a choice and mm. I actively chose, I so anyone who is listening, who is unconfident and wishes they're more confident, you can start today. Like I, I faked it till I made it. And I, I start, I, it felt so unnatural at first, but I was like, I just got really sick of being a victim. I was like, I'm not going to be a victim anymore. And I just, I made a conscious decision when I transitioned of like, I'm going to change my narrative. And I have, I'm, I was the, anyone who knows me in my life, like has known me like my whole life or know me since I was young will be like, I can't believe the person you are now from who you was. I was so shy. I'm a Pisces. Like I'm a sensitive, shy, quiet. I was a quiet little, the gay kid in school. Do you know what I mean, I was such a victim and so quiet. Now, 
I'm like, if I wish I could do school again so I could fight more. Like, <laughs> I am so like sure of myself and loud and proud and like, n- like I wish someone would try me because I will embarrass you. I'll be so loud in public and like, you know, like I just would not let anyone treat me how I was treated. And it's because I, you get tired of it, and eventually you're like, actually, no, this isn't my narrative anymore. So like, anyone listening, like I said, if I can, if I can go from what I went from personality wise to what I am now, you can do it too. And it just comes with like just acting like it and then after a while it just becomes so natural that that is you like at first I I wasn't it felt unnatural to be so loud and proud and confident but now I'm like I I couldn't be I wish I could be a bit more quiet sometimes but like I can't be like the the, like shy quiet sent like yeah person I was like I just can't it's not who I am anymore I've evolved how does it feel now to be that sort of hope for young trans kids because I feel like that came across during the documentary because your sheer existence in speaking to them was hope for living their authentic lives oh wow I don't you know. you being there and existing and being really? who you are yeah I think so because That's I think so kind well because I you know I can only ever like and think you know you know you can only ever really see things from from your perspective and, and try and pee in other people's shoes but I know from seeing I've spoken about it on the show before but I remember seeing Sandy Toxvig on tv and thinking she's a lesbian and she's funny and there were two things that I knew one about myself and I really wanted to be funny and just seeing her existing was like okay it's possible yeah yeah and I feel like that came across in in the documentary when you were meeting those young those young teenagers that must feel great in a way that you can be that hope I don't know if I am to be honest but if if I am that's really lovely but like I I guess it kind of it kind of spurs like even if I'm not the hope to them I obviously know that they like people see you like if you're in the media so like it does spur me on to like be louder and proud part of the reason I'm so the way I am is so that young trans people or queer people period see how they should be or how I want them to be I'm like you can like don't be a victim either like I'm always like very like if I get shit on Instagram or for example like, I do a lot of stuff about like dating so I do my Dickie Lake thing and I if I get shit on a dating app I will like share it and I'll be like Da, da, da. And I like, I don't know, I'm just all about like, like just because we like we are as queer people and obviously as trans people, especially trans women with like trans misogyny, especially in the dating scene, for example, we are like treated like we're nothing. Like so like you need someone to like be like, this is not let's stop being nothing, guys. Let's stop being victims. Let's start standing up for ourselves and like letting people know that they can do that. Like I, I just that's I guess linking it back to Nadia going 360. She taught me that when I was 11. I remember seeing on mm-hmm. her on Big Brother and seeing her. And bear in mind, around this time, the only other time you saw trans people in the media for about 10 years after her even would be when you're on Jerry Springer being yes, beaten yes, up on yes, stage. Like, yes. And it, like you said, punch bags, but also punching lines in sitcoms, mm, mm-hmm. like that sort of thing. Yeah, and she sure. was the first time I saw a trans person not be a victim. And literally until then, that's all you saw. And as she was like standing up, I remember her having like fights in the house with like, there was that horrible Scottish guy, Jason. Yeah. And like, she was like, what are you going to do? And like, she was like shouting at because he was in her face. And I'm like, oh my God. And like, she stood up and like, the, after that, I was like, I want to be like that. And I am like that now and I hope that I learned it from her and I hope that the young people watching me will see like actually yeah I don't have to be a victim anymore either I'm going to stand up for myself like it's yeah I just that's what I that's the the thing that's what I kind of hope what my legacy is and what I if I am inspiring young people I hope it's inspiring them to stand up for themselves I feel like you've already kind of answered this but I'll give you another opportunity if, if you want but if not it, it has sort of been covered I think the final question on the show is always the same and it's kind of because of the 15 year old me that lives in my head still uh, which is if you could get in touch with 
a version of yourself from the past. And I guess I'm not thinking of 15-year-old you. I'm thinking of that 11-year-old you that took in that project and realized their house wasn't the same as everybody else's <laughs> or their home. Yeah. And you could reach out to them and give them some advice or a bit of hope. Or if someone's listening and they're in a similar situation to where you were then, if, if you could reach out to them, what would you say? Uh, first of all, I'd say get on uh, the waiting list for hormone blockers and hormones because you're going to start losing your hair very young and you're going to spend about 30k fixing it. So that's a lot of money, sweetheart. Start saving your, your pocket money now. Uh, then I would give them a hug. I'd give them a hug. And in terms of giving them advice, I would... I would say about standing up for themselves. I would, uh, that's one of my biggest regrets about like growing up and, and especially at school and on my estate is that I didn't, and I don't want to encourage young people listening. I'm not saying to fight. You can fight with your words. You can fight with your actions. Like even like you, what you do, whether, but not necessarily physical fighting, but also I do sometimes wish I'm like, I should have fought back. Like the times I did fight, they didn't start on me ever again. Like I, you need to stand, wh- whichever way you're fighting back, you need to stand up for yourself because people only take the piss out of you when you're not standing up for yourself so just start standing up for yourself and I just wish I could not only do that but like if not go back and tell that young person to do it. and if I can't do that which because I can't do that I'll tell the young people now who are listening to do that it's please please stand up for yourself and if you can't do it get me and I'll come down to your school and stand up for you <laughs> <laughs> what a perfect way to end the podcast Charlie thank you so much for talking to me as Charlie mentioned she's got a book out called to my trans sisters it's getting a republication so either you can grab the old copy or you can wait a little while and keep an eye on Charlie's Instagram and I'm sure she'll be sharing all the stuff about that my transitioning teens you can watch now it's on the iPlayer I highly recommend it Charlie thank you so much for talking to me thank you Susie thank you babe well that was the brilliant Charlie Craigs I really enjoyed that conversation I think we talked about some really important stuff and I think she's brilliant and um yeah I just love her I think she's great check out what she's doing support her if you can look up when her books are coming out it's really important really important stuff um well that's the end of the series what a great way to end I am very very grateful of all of you that have been on this journey with me I will see you in series five wow I can't believe it's going to be series five that's amazing um five series already wow if you want to get in touch please do the email is hello out with suzyruffle.com and hopefully the next time I talk to you I won't have this terrible croaky voice have a great Christmas happy Christmas to you happy new year and I'll speak to you in 2022 when I hope the world is looking a little bit healthier than it does right now. All the best to you. Bye-bye.